Deep Night Fam. Tony with Beautiful Bree back with you at Mission Bible Church, Orange County, California. Trust you're having a blessed week in the Lord. Almost Valentine's Day as well. Ooh, almost we do two weeks or so. Are we? Of course. My sunflower. When have I ever not romanced you? Um. <laughs> I've got a, I actually got a friend who refused, um, <laughs> who refuses to do anything on Valentine's simply because it's Valentine's. He's like, no, I'll take my wife out every other day of the year, but I'm not doing it when the culture tells me to. So It anyway. sounds like someone else I know. Mm. Funny, we're doing a podcast called Date Night, and I'm like the least romantic date night guy. All I can say is you love me all year long and care for home, so last thing mm. I care is Come random on. flowers, box Come of on. chocolates, because the world says to. Hey, ladies are going to call you a traitor if you I keep saying so. that stuff. No, yeah, you find will. me a hundred ladies, every single one who's been protected, provided for, listened to all year long, will care less about mm. Do you remember, on that note, do you remember T-Day? No. I told you, you get V-Day, so I have I meant a T-Day. Tony Day. Oh, you get brother. me things. Okay. All right, my love. <laughs> Making our marriage what it's meant to be, part two. Are you ready for this wonderful episode? Yes. Ethan, ready? Let's roll. Well, drum roll, please, my sunflower. Oh, so. my handsome turkey. Oh, gobble, gobble. We are far from perfect parents. They're saying this isn't daddy's fate. This isn't mommy's fate. This is me. I like that gobble, gobble part. Every time I hear that, I'm like, gobble, gobble. gobble. All right. <laughs> Just in case someone missed it last week, we should review, I think. Yeah, we often meet couples hurting because they've entered marriage with misinformed presuppositions, attitudes, or erroneous views of what marriage is meant to be. Typically just viewing marriage how they saw it growing up or how Hollywood views it. Mm-hmm. And this puts big time pressure on them. It leads to insecurity, doubt, frustration. So last week we started talking about some of those central errors and how to reframe them according to a biblical perspective. Perspective of marriage. And we talked about the producer of marriage, who's the Lord, how marriage is something he gave us. Then we hit on the purpose of marriage, zeroing in on the idea of companionship and how even more than procreation, marriage is a best friendship. And then we finished with the promise of marriage, where the Bible calls marriage a covenant, the strongest word for a contract possible. Uh, the idea being that it's a lifelong commitment to one another. And that's what true Christian wedding vows should mean. And then you said we should do all the, that cute assignment where a husband <laughs> yeah. takes a wife's Lame. face in his hands, looks in her eyes and tells her you are my love till death or the return so of lame. Christ. All the guys hate me. <laughs> it's hallmarkish, but just look in her eyes and tell her this isn't a feeling, though it comes with them. It's volitional, unconditional, an act of the will where I say, I'll please God by pleasing you. And it's 100% give, 0% take. And it's mm-hmm. not a 50-50 deal, but we are both giving our all. So let's go ahead there and move on. We will finish this. Three more attitudes, really perspectives, we could call them, that can harm our marriage. And these aren't fancy. I don't think anybody, date nighters, is going to be shocked, especially if you've been in church a long time. But these are still good to clarify. And each of these can bring real havoc to marriages. Yeah. So the first one is when we enter marriage, ready? Viewing love as romantic feelings. And this is obviously a Potential problem area because the modern definition of love is so skewed from anything meaningful. And most of the time nowadays, it's simply viewed as a romantic infatuation. And we never say romantic feelings are wrong because they're not. And God designed us with eyes to see, hands to hold, physical expressions of intimacy, like the way Jacob looked at Rachel. But that does not mean romance or attraction Mm -hmm. is the reason we should get married. And I think we have to stop there just for a moment because... I think that statement might be really confusing for most people these days, even Christians. Biblically speaking, God never makes romantic feelings a ground or basis for marriage. In fact, and this is tough, I know, most marriages throughout human history were arranged by family (laughs) or based on sociocultural needs. 
and we're not based on feelings. Not that there can't be attraction also, but many right. historic marriages haven't started with the physical aspect. Totally. Dowries, bride prices, family contracts. Even to this day, Eastern cultures have a husband see his bride on the day of the wedding or even when the veil is lifted on the wedding night. And it's fascinating that even under those conditions, the Bible tells us that two Christians who love one another in obedience to God's word can and have many times in history worked out a lifetime covenant of companionship. And we're not seeing arranged marriages are the way to go. No, no, no. Except my daughter, Peyton. <laughs> Taking offers. Anyone. <laughs> Lots of money. Smart. Believer. <laughs> but what I think is important to note, just in principle here, is that Western marriage, with all of our fluffy love, rom-coms, and follow your heart jazz, our marriages aren't any more stable than Eastern marriages, and often far less so. So over the course of human history, touchy-feely isn't the solution that we make it out to be. Which is where our understanding of true love becomes critical, because the Bible doesn't say we'll always feel love towards our spouse, mm. but rather that we are to always show love toward our spouse. Yes, love is not the condition for getting married, but it is the obligation once we are married. Meaning acts of love toward my spouse become a permanent part of that covenantal commitment. Which is deeper than romance. Right. This love is deeper than romantic feelings, physical connection, and involves giving of oneself toward the other. And here's the key. When I, Tony, give myself to you, Brie, for example, feelings of love follow the acts of love. Where does this become a problem in marriage? When either spouse holds only to a love as a feeling kind of belief. Mm-hmm. And that's their be all end all. Because though love can come with feelings, and, and typically it does, it's not based in feelings because that's the model Christ gave us. Remember in Ephesians 5, his love for the church, because God didn't become enamored with the human race. It wasn't like he looked down and he said, oh, look at the little lovables. Mm-hmm. No, he loved men by choice in spite of our rebellion while we were still his enemies sending his son to die. Which is why husbands or wives who have strong feelings against their spouse can still learn to love them in spite of their feelings. Totally. God so loved the world, he gave gave. He loved us and gave himself for us. If your enemy hungers or thirsts, give. Love in scripture begins with giving. It's a giving of self, of time, of thought, of money, of creativity, even of your life. And when one regularly gives himself, depositing treasure, for example, in the life of another, then to use Jesus' words, his heart and even his feelings will go there also. Why is that so important for couples listening? Because even if someone listening got married for all the wrong reasons, it's been a miserable failure, three, four years in, they want to throw in the towel, there's hope. If they'll repent of all the feeling mumbo jumbo, not hold past sins against each other, but love each other God's way with God's help and then get with a counselor to learn how to treat one another and demonstrate love, there's hope for them. And let me add for the ladies, the rom-com model of love is all passive. Love just kind of happens. Like we put on our lipstick, walk down the street, catch eyes with someone in the elevator, the movie music swells and it just happens. (laughs) It's this montage down the aisle, a newborn white picket fence that we're taught where neither of us are told do anything, sacrifice anything or give anything for the other. And I'd even add that's the problem with dating today, right? That's the picture we have where where we're going to pursue someone and then we send off these kids into a dark theater alone. And this is a total soapbox, but we're telling them, hey, go figure out feelings and love just on your own. Like they're going to know how to sacrifice, give and serve one another in that little vacuum without friends and family and church support. That's a disaster, The better way is with parents, with friends, with your church, even Paul and pastors learn to share thoughts, feelings, convictions, goals, and most of all, learn to give by choice what's best for the other person. And then that depth of sharing typifies the lasting intimacy of a godly marriage. That's what God wanted for those who are wed. 
off my soapbox now. But it's true because if husbands and wives are to be best friends, real dating is learning to share, discuss, and self-disclose in a way that honors the Lord. And I think we miss what you just said, love, that best friend idea of marriage. We're back in the garden. We see Adam and Eve naked and unashamed, which wasn't just a physical reality, but a precurse emotional reality. They literally had nothing to hide, no reason to hide it or feel ashamed. That's true and complete intimacy. There's no secrets there. And then sin hit like a freight train. Mm-hmm. And the first thing they do is what? Cover up. They put on clothes. Clothing is the symbol in this picture of a broken intimacy between them and between them and God. So to strip naked before our spouse is a sign of being vulnerable again. Okay, there was a ton there, but just to summarize, ready? True love isn't feelings. It's a choice to pursue our spouse's best, regardless of what's returned, to self-disclose, be vulnerable, and develop a true non-secret intimacy. That is love. Yes. Okay, let's hit another one. Equally dangerous perspective when we believe it is no big deal to marry an unbeliever, which has become much more common recently. Yes. I've talked to many young women who are going to church, but their husbands aren't interested and all they want is for their husbands to be saved. I do want to talk to the ladies married currently to an unbelieving husband, but first let's be clear that if you're a Christian guy or gal, single, it's better to stay unmarried than to marry an unbeliever. It doesn't feel like that now. I know it's lonely, but down the road, being unequally yoked causes a ton more pain than being single. Yes. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7.39, marry only into the Lord. Which just means marry in the salvation sphere. Marry someone who not only professes Christ, but in their day-to-day life, it's clear that they possess Christ. There's verifiable fruit in words and acts and love for others, involvement in church, and really evaluate. Truth and time go hand in hand. So ask other people to speak in also. Ensure your friends and family see what you see in this particular person. Yes, ladies, I can't urge enough. To go slow, remember that what a man allows while dating, he'll embrace in marriage, meaning the way he keeps promises, opens the door, opens the scriptures, or conversely, the way he manipulates, isn't polite or isn't spiritually on fire. All of that will be exaggerated 10 times over a few months after walking down the aisle. And let me speak to those who got married, but now Hubs isn't interested in the things of church. I said this on the Christmas Q&A a few weeks back. Stay silent, pray, exemplify Christ, Don't fear and trust the Lord to turn his heart. Your contentions, uh, or we could call them naggings or whatever it is, complaints, will become to him like a dripping faucet. So the more you drop comments or you drip those frustrations, the harder his heart will become and the bigger his ego will get. So 1 Peter 3, remember it and memorize it, is clear that your respectful Christian behavior and love for him, like we just talked about, regardless of what's returned, is what will ultimately soften his heart. Is that the same for men? Yeah, I do, especially for the single guys. Don't marry a girl simply because she's pretty on the outside. In a few years, if you do that, you'll hate yourself. The hidden character of the heart lasts for a lifetime, but what's on the outside, that's always for all of us going to, it's going to go. And I would add respectfully that if she dresses immodestly, that tells you a lot about her insides. It means on the inside, she's crying for attention. She's insecure and doesn't know Christ or her identity in him. So there's a big difference between beauty and seduction. Beauty is an appearance that's striking, but it causes attention to be drawn upward to the face and ultimately upward to God, whereas seduction is an effort to expose body parts attempting to pull a man's attentions downward to the body and sexual innuendo. And there's nothing Christian about seduction. Like I said, if you marry seduction, you'll regret it. 
because all of that insecurity and doubt and pain and aggression and listlessness that's inside of this woman's heart is now yours to try and care for. So So be careful. Okay, one more. And this one doesn't feel like a big deal, but it can be. It's the perspective, you ready, that things will stay the same once we're married. (laughs) This is something we all believe, that so much of the emotional realities and dreams and touchy-feelies and all that that we had while we're dating are going to kind of just morph over and continue on into marriage. But that is not the case. Totally. I remember that a few months after being married, all the ideas I had going in and I was so happy and we were best friends, but sitting in that little apartment, we had a few really intense yeah, conversations. Yeah, you didn't want to live in my little bachelor pad. You wanted to have your own place <laughs> and decorate it and nest or whatever they call it. Aww. Well, And we see that happen all the time at church. You know, this blue sky bias, you know, these couples come in and no matter how hard we try to warn them in premarital, it just doesn't click. And it's funny because before the wedding, they're skipping around and they're bubbly and then they come back from the honeymoon, they attend church the first week. It's just all over their face, you know, the weight of the world. And that's not bad. It's just real. It's just real. When two people get married, they merge into one flesh. The Bible calls it cleaving or in the Hebrew, it's gluing is the word, meaning marriage is a situation so radically different than anything else. There's no way for a guy or gal to ever be the same again. Yes, which is where the world gets it wrong with living together, fornicating, and then thinking we'll just get married, add a ring and an It'll be all the same. Yeah, we'll walk the aisle. Then I'll keep playing softball with the guys. She's planning to shop with the gals. Guy time, gal time. And because <laughs> one's priorities are meant to change. And contrary to the feminist agenda, a wife needs to enter marriage understanding her very identity is now bound up in her husband and helping him build a legacy and caring for the home and the children. And even if she needs to help earn income, it's now our second priority to hubs and homes. And the same for guys too. Immediately, you belong to another, including our time, our money, our spiritual and emotional investment. And we joke about things like Valentine's Day, but that's part of it. You know, learning our wives, being a student of our wives and caring for our wives. So the modern idea of a husband and wife getting married then going on to live their own lives just isn't reality. Dinks. Dinks? What's dinks? <laughs> Double income, no kids. Oh my goodness, you made that up. No, it's you. real. It's real. Okay, <laughs> it's not biblical, but it's real. Okay, so for the guys, we need to give ourselves to you, you know, like ladies, like Christ did the church. And then you respectfully respond to us like the church does to Christ. And that's what scripture calls the end quote, one flesh relationship. Is that why bars and gyms are so popular? I think so. Bars, clubs, and gyms and all that, they're trying to fill the intimacy void couples are feeling. And that's why shows like Seinfeld and Friends were such a hit. People thought we can try to fill the void with urban friendship, alcohol, sleeping around, whatever. It never works. God intended for this beautiful supreme friendship to happen in marriage. Amen. Okay, my love, any last thoughts on all this, this week's episode and last? Ooh, just for the ladies to not be contentious. And what I mean is that it's very easy when we listen to a podcast or watch a rom-com or even hear about biblical marriage at church and then don't see our husband fulfilling it. It's easy for us to become contentious and we start nagging. And Proverbs says that it's easier to live out on the corner of a roof in the rain and snow than inside the home with a nagging wife. And I know this is hard especially when we desperately want a biblical marriage. But yeah, just a big encouragement to do less instruction and do more prayer. That's so good. And I'd add for my brothers, your wife needs you. She absolutely needs you to protect and provide. So do what it takes to give her spiritual leadership, a safe home, and a good church community. The rest will take care of itself. Amen. Well, let's review the past two weeks. A proper perspective of marriage. First, that the producer is God. Second, that the purpose is companionship. Third, that the promise is for life. And fourth, that love isn't a feeling. Fifth, that we want to marry another Christian. And sixth, that things will and should change a bit once you walk down the aisle. Yes. 
7th that we're inventing T-Day. Oh, no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Let's pray. Heavenly Father, many of us didn't grow up with good marital role models, so we're figuring this out on the fly. But we trust your word to guide us, both in our expectations for marriage and then in how we are to live them out. So give us covenant companions and help us to be covenant companions for life and for your glory, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Date Nighters, we love you so much. Thanks for listening. Leave a review and we will be back next week. Big thanks to Ethan for producing. Everyone at Mission Bible Church, keep living for his glory and fighting for your family. Happy (laughs) T-Day.